Hey guys, John Mattis here of Post Media, the host of Off the Post. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode 50, uh, the cap to season one of Off the Post. I very much appreciate you listening, even if it's been once or 10 times, uh, whatever the amount is, 49 times. Uh, thank you. And uh, we're going to push forward full steam ahead. Season two will launch at the start of September. Uh, but for now, episode 50, I have Luke Fox of Sportsnet, Josh Cloak of The Athletic, two guys I see grinding away at the rink, and two guys with a wide, a wide talents, a wide array of talents that uh, can touch on a bunch of topics, and that's exactly what we did. Uh, talked about Yermer Yager, we talked about the incoming rookie class that does not have a headliner, and we talked about the most interesting person in the sport of hockey, as well as a few other topics. So, uh, keep your ears glued, and uh, without further ado, let's get after it. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. So guys, it's uh, August 15th. We're here to talk about hockey. It's like, I would say, what do you think the dog days of summer? Oh, I, I think we're deep into them right now. Yeah, we're, we're scraping the barrel for, for stories, yeah. I, I think things will pick up once uh, the deadline to show up at camp comes, and then I think we, we'll start to hear more about the restricted free agents that remain unsigned, yes. guys like Pasternak and Dreisaitl. But it's pretty quiet uh, on the news front. It's kind of like relaxation time. I know some of the pre-camps are getting going. we got Bile Steel going on in Toronto next week. But we're, we haven't hit training camp. I think that, that day to show up at training camp, who, who's going to get a tryout, who's still on side, I think stuff will start to really ramp up news-wise, I think. Yeah, so that voice right there is Luke Fox of Sportsnet and Josh Cloak of The Athletic. I would consider the dog days like almost July 15th to August 15th, this area. Maybe even stretch it further. But BioSteel, at least in my mind, because I'm from Toronto and I go to that event, is like the kickoff to training camp but a lot of those guys that go to biosteel you know there's no contract negotiations there's very little instability with these players so it's not like you're going to go and get some kind of juicy nuggets out in, in terms of like what's going to happen next year so the dog days yeah i think they're i think it's it's all of august i, I really do <laughs> i like, think i'm just a hockey nut and i'm like i get bored after like two weeks of not doing hockey things yeah, maybe that's my problem. Maybe I need a hobby or something. You don't. You don't have a hobby. No, not many. <laughs> Podcasting isn't a hobby. I guess it is sort of, but I do a hockey podcast, so that's a problem. Yeah. But I wanted to have you guys in to talk about a variety of things. We're going to do sort of an off-season carousel, just go around uh, various different topics. Um, first on the docket, uh, Yermir Yager, a guy who I would say most people thought would land with a team at some point this summer and it's august 15th um or 16th it's the 16th you know it's the dog days when you can't remember well i was thinking august 15th because of the will butcher thing but it's actually the 16th when he becomes a free agent so um but yes the dog days and with yager do you guys have any you know personal theories about why this guy has not signed this 45 year old 46 point guy from last year has not been able to get picked up by a team i can understand if if there were slim pickings but no one has pulled the trigger i i have a couple theories one i think he's probably too picky i mean he's made those jokes on twitter that no one's calling 
I bet there are some teams that are inquiring, but I think their price is probably below what he wants to take. He made $4 million last year. We see a guy like Mike Camilleri, like these veterans, they're getting like a million bucks, two million bucks. So, you know, Eric Stahl had to really drop his price as a free agent. And yes, he can still contribute, but he's slow. And if you want to get the best out of him, I think you need to put him in your top six. You need to put him at least on the second power play unit, if not the first. And I think there's a lot of pride with Yager. He doesn't want to go on a PTO. We're not going to see him trying out to make the Calgary Flames or something like that. So I think part of it's pride. I think he wants money and I think he want, you know, a fair amount of money. And uh, this is like this is a guy that once made 11 million in one season. So I don't think he wants to drop his price too low and uh, he wants a, a secure job. And the teams where I think he would fit, like in Arizona or maybe a Vegas to help sell tickets, um, that he would definitely qualify to be on their top two lines. I don't think he wants to go. I don't think he needs to be on a, you know, a Pittsburgh or a Chicago, but I think he wants to be on a team that at least has a chance to make the playoffs. So I think he set his own bar a little too high. Yeah, with the money thing, I was looking back at his previous contracts on capfriendly.com and 2 million is is the minimum he's taken since he he re-entered the league and that's not including signing bonuses. So uh, we're talking, you know, 3 4 Five million, like that. Those are the those are the type of paychecks he's used to as a forty plus player. So, I think that would be the logical theory is that he's going in there with these super high expectations, and really he has nothing to lose. He could retire, and you know, he's not going to retire. No, I, I, he'll he'll play over in the Czech league. I think. Well, he owns yeah. a second yeah. a second tier league team, so he can literally just walk on the ice there. And he has said that that is an option because then it would leave the door open for coming to the NHL where he could literally just leave. But Josh, what do you think? Well, even more than, than just leaving to go, you know, back to an NHL team. There's two things that I think, first of all, if he plays in the Czech League, he can therefore go to the Olympics, which I think yes. is still yes. an important deal for him. I mean, he won that gold medal. He, you know, we talk about pride. This is a guy that's very proud to play for his country. So there's that, you know, and, and so he's probably weighing it out saying, well, if I'm going to get an offer of one, 1.5, is that worth it against, you know, being able to, because look, if he plays for the Czech team, you know, with no NHLers, they have a much better shot at meddling. And I think that's important yeah. to him. Yeah. The other thing too is, you know, we've, we've talked a lot and, and Yager's workout routines are, are well known and he's missed, you know, only a handful of games in the last five or six years. He takes care of his body, but when we look at like sports science and when we look at like advanced stats and what teams are, are doing with this information, you look at what the NBA is doing and their whole, their biggest focus with advanced stats is injury prevention. And how do we, you know, if we're signing these guys to these big contracts, how do we ensure that we're going to get maximum value out of them? And I think Yager's age just scares off a lot of teams as, as, as good as, you know, he, he keeps in shape and that kind of thing. 45, I mean, things could go at, at, at any moment. And I really think that, that that's something that scares teams off. Again, even teams that there's a, there's a lot of teams that have that space, right? Um, he's he's slow-footed too, which right. which has, has been okay so far. But there's going to be some point where he's just killed on, on, on the back check or 
Um, there's just this this re- highlight real goal by the other team, and, and all of a sudden he's he's liability at least publicly, and then the team starts doubting themselves or or something like that. Like there is going to be a time when this guy isn't playing NHL caliber hockey. It's just does one team want to take a one year chance on that not happening in 2017 18 because he is still Yarmir Yager at least a, a shell of himself, which is a lot better than a lot of people uh, can play hockey. Um, I, I like the Knights, uh, Luke. Your suggestion? They have they have a five point five in cap space right now, and they're a weird team. Like we'll see how they end up in in regards to money, but also they their forward depth is is lacking. So putting him on the third line wing um, wouldn't be a terrible idea. But does he want that? I mean, he went to Florida, I think, so he could kind of escape the the spotlight and yeah. just play the game. But if he goes to Vegas, he's kind of the guy there. He's a face that oh, people yeah. are oh, going to yeah. come see, and he, and he's going to you know be expected to to do PR to, to sell tickets. Does he want to do that? And at forty five, well, the last All Star game he got voted into, he hated being there. Right. He only went there <laughs> so he wouldn't get suspended. Like he does, he doesn't like that stuff. No, he loves the game, but he doesn't really like the other stuff. He he'll do media when he has to, and he does his his share, but he doesn't love it. You know, he likes to wrap it up pretty quick, like. And if you're in Vegas, like you said, it's Mark Andre Fleury and it's it's Yarmer Yager. Those are the names people know. Yeah, I'm surprised George McPhee, or maybe he is knocking on his door, and it's just a matter of figuring it out. But if I'm thinking about selling the team to locals, and you're not going to get into a long term situation with Yager, so you don't have to worry about this, you know, biting you in the ass in the future, right? It's just, hey, Yarmer, come here for two million over one year, and you hope that he takes it, and. That makes sense to me. Coyotes make sense to me for a similar reason, um, especially because they have so many guys on ELCs and so many guys coming through the league that it wouldn't hurt to have a legend walking amongst them. But again, they're in like hey, there's then there's more inherent pressure on them. Yeah, he can't just play the game now. He has to be this this mentor figure. And I almost wonder if the four mil he got paid last year kind of tipped his hand a bit, you know? Because now would Yager take one mil? I no, I don't think he would. I, I don't think he would either because he knows how much. Maybe last year, if he gets paid two and a half, then it's like okay, there's going to be a decline in how much he gets paid. But going from four to one is a it's a pretty big jump for the guy. I'll throw out one more team, and that's the the Kings. They they took a chance on Aginla. I mean, that was a di- there was a different GM and and coach running the show at that time. But they're starving for offense. You know, they were linked in rumors to Evander Kane. They, they 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 need scoring badly. They they still believe that they can contend with this core of Kopitar and Quick and Doughty. Um, so that their windows now, or at least they believe it is. So that's a team that maybe might make an offer, and that would probably be a good look for him because um, he wouldn't have to be the face because there's so many other superstars on that team. Um, I but, honestly wonder if, if weather factors into it too like i know that sounds silly but like if you're 45 and you're still playing nhl hockey you mentioned the media where he does his minimum and puts on on his smile and then goes home and relaxes most likely or works out as we've seen um but would you want to go to winnipeg that's probably not even a conversation he wants to have like like he has all the leverage in the world in a sense that he doesn't need to do anything he he's done he's the second leading scorer of all time he's closing in on Gordy Howe's uh, games played record. Like, he's, if he walked away, no one would, would bat an eye in terms of, uh, you know, legacy. 
The only thing is, is he's addicted to the game. Well, like he's married to, he's like almost literally married to the game. Like that is, that is his thing. That is his life. Uh, the, the only, the one thing I would, would say is injuries happen, right? Like what if a, um, a top six winger on a good team goes out in training camp with an injury or, or in training in these next couple of weeks? So, you know, I, I think it's a bit of a waiting game too. Yeah. All of a sudden he's a hot commodity, right? Yeah. And is he, is he comfortable? Doing that, like, I mean, if let's say he goes to Cladno and plays in the Czech League, I mean, again, the, the difference in quality there really isn't, it, it's a big leap. Yeah. So I, I just wonder if, if even he's going to, you know, pull the trigger himself and just say, you know what, if, if it's not going to happen, um, I, I'm not comfortable waiting around. Because, again, we come back to that pride thing. I really don't think... You know he's going to be taking any less than what he thinks he's worth. So I come September, mid September, when training camp kicks off, I don't think we see him on a roster yet. I, and and then then you get into that really tricky territory where you know is is he comfortable jumping in, in in November? Has he been getting the right? You know, is is he fit enough? It's there's still a lot of questions and and. He's putting out a really kind of affable front on Twitter, but I think it's I think it's really got to be getting to him. Yeah, you think? Well, he's left once before, right? right. So yeah. <laughs> I don't think he's afraid to, yeah. you know, you know, write his own story, so to speak. All right, let's jump back on the carousel. We're going to talk about uh, the rookie class coming in, and if you guys have any wild projections, any any guys that you see on this list of non generational players or non superstars um and I, w- I was going through the 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 last calder classes and since 2012 13 with jonathan huberdo who he won the calder that year every class since that has had someone you know at number one number two number three coming into the league that are that are considered you know potential franchise players from mckinnon to ekblad to uh, mcdavid matthews and line a like it's just been one after another, um, but this year with Nico Hischer and Nolan Patrick, and Patrick has these these injury issues that that makes me very hesitant. But even Nico Hischer, I don't know if everyone's sold on him coming in right away. He's going to get ice time in in New Jersey, but um, that's beside the fact that this class is just not it's it, it's devoid of of a really really big name. Yeah. And um, I'm curious which guys you have your eyes on it. Well, I think it like after the last two draft classes, that's just a natural. Yeah, of course. I mean, there's, there's going to be great players that emerge out of this class that are rookies this year. Um, I mean, the, the one that jumps out is Dylan Strom, if only because he's, he's going to get a, hopefully I'd, I'd like to see more of him. Hopefully he gets more time in Arizona. Um, they have a few guys, but that's the one that, that I think he's the safe bet right now. Right. The issue has been with him is his skating is like an actual issue. It's not just like a a fad like where where he didn't have it up to standards and then he came back and fixed it. Like I think it's still something he needs to work on. Like don't get me wrong, I know, I know that Arizona is going to give him the time of day for sure. Um, so he could totally you know end up transitioning the league and having a great season. But he's a guy that I have question marks around. Um, same with uh, Alex DeBrincat. I think if he came in. And played with Patrick Kane, or played with Jonathan Taves, or or whatever. A wing in the top six, he's going to put up points. The the caliber player he is, but it's the fact that Chicago has been hesitant to say, 
oh yeah, he's going to be you know making the team next year. Like he could easily play in the AHL for one year. So it's like a wild card. He could easily be you know a great freshman, or he could just play like two or three games. Mm-hmm. What about you, Luke? Uh, well, there's a couple interesting defensemen: um, Charlie McAvoy in Boston and Mikhail Sergachev in Tampa. That if they land in the top four they might be like wild card picks Mm -hmm. but it's so rare like Ekblad was you know a real exception to the rule for for a a rookie defenseman to win the award so my best bet would be a forward on a bad team because a lot of this comes down to points who which rookie has the most points it often comes down to that and and there's and there's a bunch of them so I think it'll be a bit of a horse race so I think it'll be uh largely dependent on who their their wingers or or their centermen are like uh, who they're playing with in their top six and how many points they can produce. So I'll throw a couple names. Um, I really like Josh Hosang as, as a bit of a wild card. Um, I liked how I liked how he looked um, when he was brought up towards the the end of last season. Um, you know, you mentioned Strom, but Clayton Keller on on Arizona right. is another good bet. Brock Besser might be a, a nice choice in Vancouver if he if he gets into their top six. Um, he, he's kind of an interesting one, and and Nico, I I think he will make their top six, and say he spends some a lot of time on the power play with Taylor Hall. Like who knows what kind of points the guy can produce? Yes, he's not McDavid or Eichel or Matthews, but um, you know he's he he could make noise, and it, it's all about opportunity for these young guys. So on these bad teams that are thin up front, I think we could see a couple guys, you know, put up. 50 some maybe 60 points and like that might be enough to do it this year josh you got pretty excited about the mention of hosang i did get hosang <laughs> i i think i underestimated how much luke researched for this because i thought i was going to come <laughs> in with hosang and and kind of uh rock have the, to jump here no oh. but i i like i like the idea of giving hosang as much time you know playing beside a taveras and and an everly as possible we know there's really really high offensive upside there um, obviously, there's been issues, you know, that have dogged him in the past. If, but like you said, I mean, in, in a class like this where there's no real standout guy, yeah, it's the forward that, that generally gets a lot of points. Another guy that kind of sticks out for me, and, and he impressed me a lot last year, but he obviously didn't get a lot of time is, is UC Saros. Maybe Interesting. something, Interesting. yeah, well, maybe mm. something happens midway through the season where. He plays well enough in a backup role that Nashville says, okay, um, and I don't have uh, Rene's, you know, cap numbers in front of me, but maybe they say, okay, we have to we have to transition here just as the Pens did with, with Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray and say, you know, we have, we have a, a good goalie here who might be capable of something great. And if we want to sustain the success we had last year, maybe we have to look at letting Rene go. And I... He's a guy that I thought looked really solid, and and you know, I, I don't have his. I is he still eligible? I think he is. Well, I can mm-hmm. look that up. Yeah. Um. Also, Kyle Connor is sort of yeah. a, yeah. a Clayton Keller comparable, I'll say, in terms of playing mm-hmm. style. He's had some time to uh, to actually strut his stuff at at the NHL level. Um. 20 games similar to Hosang where they they came up last year for you know two dozen almost two dozen games and just didn't didn't completely impress but left enough of an impression if that makes sense to uh to warrant you know an NHL spot next year and to really um make people think okay I I think we we have something here so 
Um, those are two guys. And Thomas Shabbat in, in Ottawa, I'm less, there's a lot of caveats with him. Um, first of all, the Sens are still not saying that he's going to make the team. There's still sort of that um, that grudge against them against him because of last season and his training camp didn't go so well. But obviously at the World Juniors and, and in the Q playoffs, he showed that he's he's a blue chip, blue liner prospect. Um, but if he plays third pairing minutes, like how is he ever going to really um, get get before Calder voters and, and really show that he that he deserves it, right? So I don't I think he's a long shot. It would take, you know, an injury to someone in their top four to really shift that, but he could get a lot of power play time too, maybe on the second unit in Ottawa. So No, it's possible. He is eligible. Oh, I was just about yeah, to look it up. Yeah, 21 games. So okay, there you go. I, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, it would be foolish to sit here and say Pecorine isn't the guy in Nashville. But again, like if you have, if you have, you know, one of those good problems where it's a, a goalie that's capable, uh, why wouldn't you think about it? And then maybe he's, maybe Saros is the guy to, to give a, a late season push. I, I don't know. I mean, again, we, we you mentioned it. Voters tend to like the the forward when there's when there's no immediate option. It's the forward who has the most points. Exactly. But I think you're also seeing pressure on voters to kind of think outside the box a little bit, and maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe he's the guy. I still think it's a shame that Matt Murray has two Stanley Cup rings and was not even a finalist for the Calder. He was on my ballot, but like. A goalie has to be so good and so dominant. He has to get playing time, too. Yeah, How many yeah. rookies get a lot of playing time, yeah. right? And Saros kind of has this 21 games under his belt that, you know, if if Rene really falls off a cliff, then it wouldn't be, you know, out of the realm of possibility to give him the starting job. But that's sort of a definite plan B for Nashville. But I like your, your left field suggestion because I didn't even think of Saros, but mm-hmm. I, I do like it. Um, if we can transition to a new topic... Uh, this is a total big picture um, from 30,000 feet question. I'm curious what you guys think about this. Who uh, the most interesting person in hockey is? And this can be off ice, it can be on ice, and it's not necessarily uh, something that fits into a box. Like It's up to you how you interpret that question. Who's the most interesting to you, Josh? I was thinking about this uh, coming in here, and isn't it funny how you know we're... In general, I think people are, are, they want to see more character from hockey players. I think for a long time, hockey players were kind of, you know, broadly painted as these uninteresting, you know, crest on the front, not the name on the back type players and type people. But then you have a guy like P.K. Subban step up who just, you know, dominates the spotlight and demands that spotlight. But there's no middle ground, right? You know, it's and, and, and I don't think it has to be, oh, this... This is a, a guy like Brent Burns who has a billion hobbies and is, you know, by he, he, he does strange things or or PK Subban who just is, is always in the spotlight. Like where's to me, I think there's 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 gotta be middle ground. You know, it doesn't you don't have to be the guy that's on, you know, magazine covers, remember them, to 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 be an interesting player. I have a pick, but that's I, I was just thinking about that because Again, there's there's characters in every sport, but now I mean, and also you look at what happened to, to PK in and around the middle of, of the Cup Finals, where you know he, he didn't talk, and people were saying he was talking too much, and it, it it doesn't have to be like that. Like players, you know, you don't have to show 
all of your personality and all of your weird hobbies to be just considered, you know, an interesting person. Yeah, I think we've been in a way oversaturated by right. Subban. It's like sort of hit us so hard in the last few years that he's. I mean, I guess he'd be the cliche choice for for this answer, but I wouldn't go with him. So, no. who, who's the one who you would pick? To me, the guy that that is really interesting to me is Johnny Taves. And, okay, and that's because what's interesting to me is okay, everybody's got hobbies, yeah, and everybody probably has a few weird hobbies that they don't talk about. It's always interesting to me when a person, and especially a professional athlete, kind of tries to reinvent themselves or evolve a little bit. And, you know, I think for a long time, you know, Taze was, again, just, he was Captain Serious. And all we knew about him was that he was a winner, but he was also a quiet guy who didn't show a lot of himself. And then he's starting to reveal more of his interests in, in Buddhism. You know, and he had that Instagram post uh, in June about climate change. And to me, if a player can kind of show off who he is, but not beat us over the head with it. And and again, he's exposing that. So earlier in his career, he had no real interest in, in Buddhism and Taoism. And, and he didn't really know a lot about climate change, but he's, he's evolving as a person. That's really interesting to me in a sport where, you know, sometimes big players have the personality, at least in front of us, the media kind of beaten out of them right when a player can or just a person can evolve and and take on new interests and new responsibilities that's really really interesting to me because it shows that this player is always thinking and and trying to learn and trying to better themselves so even though he's always presented a very you know quiet stoic and even at times boring front it's clear that this is a guy that's that's really interested in in just learning that's interesting to me. I, I like that entry because for so long he was known as Captain Serious, and you weren't poking poking holes through that. You're like, yeah, he looks very serious. He's never smiling, or he's just like he's that stoic leader that you think you know going into battle. That's sort of uh, just hockey all the time, and you know clearly he doesn't do anything else that that would intrigue others. But then you mentioned he's opening. Some, I wonder if it was always there and we just didn't see it, but. Um, Nevertheless, it, he does interest me. I, I think that's a great pick, actually, and, and I, I considered it. And uh, Taves, I, I find really, uh, it's impressive because he's speaking out more is, is what I really like. I remember a couple of years, he took a really hard stance about steroids in hockey. He was asked a, kind of a random question, something that doesn't get talked about a lot. But he, was, he really was firmly against it. When the Olympic... Uh, issue came up he took a hard stance harder than than Crosby's stance and I I just like that he's feeling more comfortable about speaking it out and I hope we see more of that Um, and the captain serious thing I don't like calling him that anymore I remember John Cooper the the coach of the lightning during the 15 final called him captain everything and I I just love that that flip on on his nickname Um, I did pick Brent Burns and it's because I really like him I like his sense of humor and I I find you know, you talk to a lot of hockey players and um, it's not a bad thing, but a lot of them are hockey only. Like it's all hockey right. all the time. Like that's kind of their life and that's what they do. And it's like you ask them what else they're into and they're and they're stumped. And I like movies. And yeah. I, yeah. I, I play the guitar once a year. Like yeah. And maybe some of that's strategic. You know, they don't want to give the media yeah. a lot. You know, they want to just stick to questions about the game or whatever. But 
an interview with Brent Burns can go all kinds of sideways. And I just love that as a reporter that you don't know where this thing's going to go. We could talk about his animals, took his crazy RV trips he takes. And it's like he just has a sense of exploration and his zest for life and talking to you like you're, you're a real person. And just he seems to love people, love life, love the moment. He just lives in the moment. And I find that really interesting. He's not programmed and uh, he's comfortable in his own skin. And then the fact that he's improved as a player over time, you know, he's a forward, he's a defenseman. He's, I just find his, his whole story very interesting beyond, you know, the crazy outfits and, and the, um, whatever, whatever's in his beard. But, um, <laughs> Yeah, so, so he's my vote. And then I also find Crosby interesting just because he's so hockey. And that's the, all he is. Extreme, and and yeah. he's just like this hockey robot machine. And, and it's, part of me finds that kind of interesting. And I would just love... Um, he's so covered and, and publicized. and But I would love to, to find out more about what he's really like just because he's just this hockey terminator. My wife asked me during when we were watching the cup finals, she's like, so who's Crosby dating? And, and like, uh, I don't, does anybody know? Like, does anybody know anything? I have and, no idea. And that's kind of, let's face it, that's kind of interesting too. When you are that, not only that, that good, but that dedicated that you have managed to put this thing, this, this, this obsession of yours right at the front. And yeah, and, and it's funny too, you know, no dislike. I mentioned Brent Burns as well. I, I, also find it him very interesting. He's the kind of guy you'd love to sit down and, and have a drink with. But again, to come back to it, like you sit down and talk to Brent Burns and, and that interview could go in a thousand different ways. Like I was saying before, don't you just want it to go one way and that's away from hockey? A guy that I enjoyed talking to this year, uh, Matt Martin, and we can talk about what he does on the ice, but you sit down and, and he's into fashion. So you just talk fashion and, and that's, like you said, you know, we get a lot of cliched answers out of players. Oh, I like to play video games. And there's nothing wrong with that. But here's a guy that's into one thing and he makes efforts to, you know, get involved in that one thing and, and learn about that one thing. Perhaps we just don't ask players about their hobbies enough. You yeah. Know, because, again, like maybe we don't know. And it's a it's, it's a really cold opener. So what's your hobbies? You know, but, but, but it, I think it could stand to benefit everybody just because you, you know, you might be surprised. To go off, uh, to back, to backtrack a bit with Crosby, if you think about him, say, compared to LeBron James, like LeBron James is on social media. He's very involved, let's say politically, um, or even just his brand. He's pushing it out daily. He, he has the undefeated. He has, you know, million, literally millions of people hanging by his every word on Twitter, Instagram. And Crosby is social media lists, and there's nothing wrong with that, but... Do you think he has a sneak account? Like a... Oh, <laughs> you I don't know. I don't know. I think he's a guy that probably doesn't, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. Like, I know, I know, like, Bill Daly once I was at a conference, and he said, yeah, I'm one of those eggs on Twitter. And I know that there's, you know, GMs that are out there following, you know, analytics people, um, but under some sort of fake account. Um Things like that, but I think Crosby is probably the one guy who doesn't. I just and I, Luke, you kind of alluded to it, but it would be great to be like a fly on the wall in just like his in his world and see like a day in, in the life of Crosby, like in the middle of summer. Like, is he really the hardest working guy in hockey, or is he like? Do we just see we we don't see those moments where he's like 
just being a normal, what is he, 27-year-old or uh, no, he's 30. He just turned 30. 30, yeah. yeah. I also, again, you just kind of touched on it, but how do we feel, and I'm just kind of building this, how do we feel about the fact that uh, the big four hockey players, I would say, are, are the ones that generally speak the least about politics? In a time where, you know, politics is now, and Luke is sighing. I'll tell you why I'm sighing. So the day after the election, the Kings were in town to play the Leafs. And I went and I asked five American players on both teams, did you vote? And then I was going to ask who they voted for and why. None of them voted. Really? Not not even... Austin Matthews didn't vote. Dustin Brown didn't vote. And it, Jake Gardner didn't vote, you know, and I kind of asked them to the side because I didn't want to put them on yeah. the spot with, um, you know, I guess maybe I'm putting them on the spot for the people. But in a scrum, you mean. But, but I didn't want to put them on the spot in a scrum. But it just was, it was disheartening to me because I, I just wanted them to say something, you know, have, have a political opinion. Um, you know, I think that just speaks to um, how a lot of these guys are in the bubble, especially during during season and it's like okay practice you know hotel meal game and um it's i think it's unfortunate but uh and i mean i mean that that's a small sample there probably are guys that did vote and are politically active um or you know have have political opinions but i found that quite disheartening and maybe this this whole trump mess uh gets gets some players thinking more right like for me, I'm more aware of what's going on in the United States right now than I've probably ever been. So I guess that's the silver lining of the president uh, destroying America. Yeah, and, and politics is tough. Like, I yeah. mean, you don't if, if if for you know if a stranger comes and approaches you about your political views, you might not be open to, yeah, to sharing it. Um, yeah. But but you know, we also see a lot of players in all three other big sports you know, voicing their opinions. And, and I also asked a few players as well. And, and um, some players just don't want to talk about it because it, it's, it's often not a conversation you can have that, that ends quickly, you know, and I think we've all been at dinner tables with aunts and uncles and, you know, you really get into it. But um, I just, I guess I just wonder like, why, why do, why does that happen in hockey? Why just, there's a lot of American players in the game. And I mean, players can talk Canadian politics too. It's, it's you know, doesn't grab the headlines. But I, I guess I just wonder why, you know, players don't, we just haven't heard from a lot of American players about, you know, their thoughts. on, on And, and I, I, I bring this up yesterday. I was at um, Toronto FC practice and, and I asked a few players and coaches about Charlottesville and, and you know, they had thoughts. They wanted to share them. You know, and, and it's, uh, it's again, is it, is it just a hockey thing? I, I Just general curiousness here. I, I think for the most part, it's a culture thing where they don't want to step on toes. And that, that topic's been been beaten down for, for years. Um, for the two guys that I uh, wrote down before, before the podcast, for most interesting guys, uh, I had Jack Eichel more so... For what he's going to mean for the next decade and and beyond for the NHL. So the way I'm looking at it as of now, uh, the you know the off season going into 17-18, it's going to be you know McDavid is the new Crosby, 
Matthews is a new Ovechkin, and Eichel is probably the new um, Malkin. Like in terms of like, there's these three forwards that really carried that 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 outgoing generation, even though they're still in their 30s. Um, but at the same time, Eichel's. I think people are forgetting about him in in Buffalo. I think he's still had a respectable start to his NHL career, um, and he's seeing. Toronto take off down the highway. He's seeing McDavid, who he's always going to be linked to, and you know he's never going to be able to get away from that comparison from the draft. Um, he's seeing McDavid take the Oilers to new heights, and I think I was sort of tipped off by his end of season press conference. That's what made me think like this guy has a serious competitive fire inside, but he also maybe has. Uh, his hands on that organization already in terms of, um, you know, his clout in the room. And that's not a bad thing. This guy will be their best player. He probably already is. Ryan O'Reilly maybe uh, could contend him for that. But the way he conducted himself in that press conference, being um, so upset with, with, with the way things went in the season, it just got me thinking, like, this guy is not going to take no for an answer in Buffalo. Like, if things go off the rails and it doesn't turn out well... He's probably going to demand a trade. Like I just feel like he's one of those guys that will not let other, you know, his peers pass him. He seems ultra competitive. I guess is the way to put it. Oh yeah, and and the first time I met him was when the the draftees were were doing their media availability, and there was something different about <laughs> him. Um, even like even more different than Connor, like just like an intensity, even just speaking to the guy. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I really like that pick. And I, I think the city of Buffalo is a little bit worried that that deal is not done. I mean, there's no reason to panic yet, but does this guy want to commit to this team? And I think hire, the hiring of Jason Botterill, the, the new GM, was a really smart move. Phil Housley, I think, you know, unproven as a head coach in the NHL, but I think that was another smart move. So I think they're taking the right steps, but for sure this guy is, is already the face of the franchise. And it'll be interesting the Sabres better get good fast or, you know, it could get ugly because I don't think he, he, he'll settle for, for anything less than, than a cup contending team. And good for him. You know, yeah. like, good, oh, I, lo- good I loved for, it. Good, the body, good. Did you see the, the, yeah, season, the body language was like, if you're maybe a parent, you go, Jack, come on, conduct yourself professionally. Mm-hmm. Or if you're, if you're the PR staff, but like I was watching and as much as he wasn't giving the media anything, it was kind of being a jerk. Let's face it. Like, at the end of the day, it's like, this guy clearly cares and is clearly upset. Like, it wasn't at the end of Game 82 when he was forced up on the stage. It was, like, two days later. And he was, like, he was so worked up still. I don't know. I just, I can't get that out of my mind. Good for him, But good for him because, I mean, this is a player of obvious talent. This is a player that's had talent for a long time and has been thinking about his future for a long time. And, you know, this is for a topic for another podcast, but... So he's just drafted and assigned to this team, a team he probably didn't have designs on going to play for, you know. And and now, because the franchise took some time to kind of put this big plan of theirs in motion, he's now assigned face of the franchise. And this franchise so far hasn't really lived up to their end of the bargain. So if he's thinking, you know what, I, I don't know if this is where I feel comfortable spending the rest of my career Good for him. I mean, you want to talk interesting. I think we could stand to see more players, in my opinion, kind of saying, you know what? 
I didn't like the team that I just got randomly assigned to. <laughs> so that's not where I want to spend 20 years of my professional career. Um, again, this is a, a, yeah. a big topic. The, the, you know, the, the draft is all, it's draft. all for the teams. Like they get, they have all the power that the, the player just sits there and goes, okay, I guess I'm going to this. I team. guess I'm, you know, there's no leverage. And, and, and it's expected that he's going to buy in yeah. and, and, and just agree with the direction of the franchise. And, we're kind of seeing this with, with Tavares, too. Why isn't he signed? Because maybe a player says, you know what? Enough. I'd like to take control of my own legacy here. I I remember meeting Jack. I guess it was twenty, the end of 2014. I went down to Boston to talk to him when he was at BU. And, yeah, he was just, he was all business. You know, there wasn't any of that wide-eyed kind of, oh, right. you know. He, he knows what he wants. He knew yeah. right away what he was capable of. And he, he speaks with a determination that you kind of you would like to hear more of. So I think it I think if he stays in, in Buffalo his entire career, that, that might surprise a lot of people. My second candidate was Steve Eiserman mm. because the way that he's transitioned into being the GM has been so seamless. Um, there were a couple of years where he was sort of you know in training, but he hit the ground running when he actually got hired and the contracts that he's been able to pull off obviously are are the stuff of legend by this point and the interest though really comes in with this team executing and winning a cup because he's put all the pieces together he has a really good coach but does it all pay off and also another layer to it is that the complete opposite in terms of GM success is his old rival Joe Sackick from from their playing days so it's like a perfect example of X X superstar player going into management and it working out and then ex superstar player going to management and at least to this point not really working out um and it's just funny with the rivalry that they they had um Iserman just fascinates me in terms of his uh his career arc I guess you could say and who knows what he's going to do down the road um you know he's just getting started really yeah, he fascinates me too. I think that's a, another great. He's also a really pick. cool guy. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard that he's also kind of strange too. Like, I think there's there's a different side of him that that we don't really know. But his his ruthlessness, like the Mar- I keep thinking about the Marty St. Louis thing. Oh right, uh, with Team Canada to to not put your own club captain on the team. Cold hearted business when man. there's a great case to put him on the team. Yeah, and just like that spoiled that thing that relationship. And that's fine. He was willing to walk away from Stamkos. Like, he drew a really hard line on the money there. Um, and, but guys respect him. And and because of that, all these other great contracts, the Hedman deal, um, Vasilevsky's at a good price. Now, you know, Johnson and Palat, like, very reasonable deals. Kucherov was a steal. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, everyone's kind of falling in line. And I think people in the hockey world, are scared of Steve Eiser. <laughs> yeah. I do. If he calls, like you're like, I need, I can't screw this up. I need to like get some sort of win out of this. And then by the end of the conversation, he's convinced you to make some yeah. crazy trade. Like, yeah, that's the guy he's but, become. Wouldn't you be? Like, you, oh, yeah. you look, you look, you look him right in the eyes. I mean, it's, it's, uh, but, but I like that as well, because this is a guy who's so shrewd. And I think that, I think the St. Louis thing, you're right. Like, that really turned a lot of heads and said, okay, Stevie Y is 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 not just resting on his laurels. This is a guy that is takes a really unique approach to to building a club, and like we we haven't seen the cup yet, but 
it's not for it's not for lack of uh, of want. It's not for lack of you know what he's done is 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 really impressive. And again, he's taking a different approach to the whole thing. He's cutting ties if he needs to. Um, I, I think the Sergeyev deal is going to it, it could you know really pay off for them. Uh, it might not, but at least he took that leap, right? All right, let's transition to a new topic, one that's on the ice. And usually rule-changing topics are kind of eye glazers, but I found this one quite interesting. So Fluto, oh, I'm going to screw up his name. Fluto Shinzawa, I believe is how you say his name, Boston Globe uh, Bruins writer, excellent uh, excellent reporter out of Boston there. Um, he wrote in a very fascinating article about icing in uh, the United States and how USA Hockey has implemented a rule for teams or leagues 14 and under where if you're on the penalty kill, you cannot ice the puck without getting a whistle. So there's no free passes anymore. You have to pass center ice to shoot the puck in like like it's even strength. And um, Ken Martle, the technical director of USA Hockey's American development model, he is quoted in the story and this is what he says about it and I, th- I thought it summed things up pretty well. How often in sports do you actually change your normal playing rules to benefit the team that was penalized? And that just like a light bulb went off when I read that. I'm like, why? Why was this even instituted in the first place? I get it. You're sort of giving them um, a break. But the way that the NHL is trending or the way I guess that it's become stagnant with with goals, goals per game, offense is pretty much um, streamlined right now to about five goals a game. Um if this makes its way to the NHL, I don't think it would be a terrible thing. That's that's sort of my view on it. I think it, it should create uh, more opportunities, um, maybe on the penalty kill, to do a flip pass over the power play unit and, and go for those sort of offensive moves on the penalty kill. What do you think, Luke? Yeah, I thought it was a really interesting idea and a way to increase scoring. They constantly, you know... They- making the goalie pants smaller like these little things i think they're just you know changing the face off dot a little bit like these are just kind of very (laughs) small things very in the margins yes but this this i think could make an impact uh the other thing about it um would be maybe that teams take less penalties because they're they're afraid that they're going to be harder to kill if we see the power play percentages rise one thing they took took out of the game um, was when you're in the box, stay for the full two minutes. Um, and then they changed that, I don't know, back in the 50s or 60s or something. Like that would be another way to to increase scoring is like you have an opportunity to score twice on this power play. So maybe think twice about taking the, that penalty. So I, I think that is a way to, to increase scoring in a more natural way. But that, that's, that was a really interesting idea. The only, the only thing, I, I don't think 14-year-olds should be the – the guinea pigs no. for this. Like, I think we need to see this, you know, they, they, they've done good work with the AHL, you know, with the, the icing and stuff like that. Like maybe the AHL or the OHL and see it there. Um, if, if you're a kid in that system, it might be odd to, um, ch- you, once you get over the age of 14, then you got to change your mindset on the penalty kill a little bit. Yeah. I should mention this is for kids at this point yeah. And, Maybe it just doesn't have any momentum and it stops. And maybe even USA Hockey scraps it after a few years. Like, who knows? But these things start have to start somewhere. And who knows? Maybe the NHL is monitoring this, you know, from sort of a cursory 
level and going, I like what's happening here. There's a little more offense created by by the the team that's down a man. Let's let's see how this goes, you know, in, in the USHL or, or OHL and then AHL and you never know. But like I don't think this is the 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 solution to more to more offense. Um, but I, I think I think anything creative in that sense, especially when it's not at even strength, like I don't mind changing or tweaking the rules when it's when it's you know a power play or a penalty kill that i think that's the time that you can sort of mix things up yeah i agree with you luke like you have let's say you know you have your 14 year olds your 13 14 year olds learning this and then they transition into another level and and that kind of upper that that older age is when they're getting a lot of attention from scouts and they're going to be expected to learn an entirely new rule. Yeah. So I don't, I, I, I'm not a fan of it in that regard. Um, but what it hopefully would do is decrease stupid penalties, you know, like just needless penalties. And then as a byproduct of that, you might see just better players. You might see players that, that, that aren't brought into the game to serve a, you know, the, the agitator role or, or whatever it is. Like if we're thinking big picture with this, I like the idea of, of trying it in the AHL. You know, and, and um, but the, the, the other thing that concerns me is, and I, and I do like the idea as well of, of uh, serving the full two minutes. I think in that, in that article, they mentioned like Jean Beliveau once scored three times on one single power play, <laughs> which I think would be really cool. But, but then you might have a weird kind of defeatist attitude seep into players. Where it's like, well, we're on the, the PK now. We're probably going to give one up here, you know, because it, if... If we can't ice it or, you know, we're, we're down a man for two minutes, it's, you know, we're probably going to let one in here. There's an 80% chance, right? So, but if it gets rid of stupid penalties and therefore reduces player injury, I'm all for that. Anything that does that scoring is one thing, but if we make the game a, a cleaner, healthier product, I'm all for that. This, this seems to be a bit of a, byproduct of the movement towards possession you know possession game because if the object is to have the puck even if you're you're short a man why just get it out but if you go to any kids game and and there's a you know a minor league game and they're on the uh the penalty kill the parents are screaming get it out get it out you know just get it out of the zone get it out of the zone you know then the coaches are screaming the same so i guess you know one, one of the good things about this is maybe they have to stick handle around one guy or make it or make a, a short pass to at least get to center ice. So I, I guess it's, you know, it could help with skills building. But um, yeah, I think there'll be there'll be a roadblock when they become 15. Yeah, I also sorry. I just I would really like to see this season how coaches adapt to this. And I think that's something we should really keep an eye on. It's not just OK, so so players have to learn this and, and players at that age are still very much especially in their own zone, especially on the PK. They're going to do what their coaches tell them to do. So I think we should really keep an eye on, on you know, which coaches get inventive with trying to break out of their own zone because then those coaches are, are therefore going to have a lot of eyes on them, you know, maybe not necessarily at the pro level, but at the college level. It's like, well, if a, if a coach can adapt to a new rule this quickly and, and train players in a really kind of creative way that like, like keep an eye on, on, on whichever coaches do something 
productive with that, right? Well, in general, the the coaching element is is huge to this because you see in the NHL all the time, and that's at the highest level where there's some sort of tweak in rules or uh, you know shift in in the way that teams are built, and all like of a the sudden, three on three overtime, right? All of a sudden, teams are game planning against it or game planning you know towards it. Uh, how can this benefit us? Um, like. Especially at the NHL level, if this was, let's say they hypothetically they instituted it this year, just like sort of snap of the finger, hey guys, this is what's going on. Training camp, there would be teams figuring out how do we pressure these penalty killers into coughing it up. How do we be, be a more aggressive power play? It just becomes sort of a, a cat and mouse game where uh, the better coaches sometimes just win out because uh, the NHL players will listen to what they say. And if you bring it back to the youth level, Hopefully they're not getting overcoached, and these these coaches are just saying, "Hey, if you got the puck, how fun is it to not shoot the puck down the ice? Now you can actually break out or or chip it and, and chase after it, as opposed to just flinging it away." Like Shinzawa leads the story off saying, basically, like when he's sometimes when he's watching an NHL game, he thinks I can clear a puck on a penalty. Like yeah. what, what what's so hard about that? And but, but, and but then so he kind of backtracks and goes. Well, actually, it's difficult uh, if you think about it, but just you have it wired in your head that it, it just takes, you know, a little shot down the ice and it just seems so easy. But And we celebrate it. Yeah. You know, few things. A lot of claps. In yeah, the few things <laughs> besides a goal get a get a get a crowd involved like, oh, look at that. What a clear. clear what a yeah. clear. He cleared the puck. <laughs> he cleared the puck. And yeah, like, again, you know, to come back to the coaching thing. If, if it also leads to coaches, you know, teaching players to just, like, to come back to what I said, to, to not take penalties. Here's how to play the game effectively and not take a penalty because, as you can see, this this could really hurt us. You know, that that could be really interesting as well. So I, I think it'll be interesting to see primarily how coaches deal with this because it, you can't expect a player to to learn how to do this it's, it's right away, especially... When the, the the games they're watching on TV, exactly. the players they aspire to be are playing the game a totally different way. So the onus is on is on coaches here. Yeah, who knows? This thing could totally disappear or it could be this, this movement. Um, all right, one last topic. And this is right up your guys' alleys as music journalists or on the side. You guys are music journalists. Um what is what is your favorite hockey related song, or maybe a musician that's super into hockey? Like, where's the cross section in your mind uh, where you get excited? Well, Michael Bublé is really into hockey, but I'm not. <laughs> I'm not the biggest fan of his music. Who's he? Is he a fan of Munch, Montreal? <laughs> yeah, Canucks. 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 Yeah. Um, he's a, sorry. He's a part owner, I think, of the Giants. Is he Vancouver yeah, Giants? I, yeah, yeah, I think so. Okay. Uh, for me, I'm big into rap music, so. I just love when good rappers make a nice slick little reference uh, to hockey, like Ghostface saying that he's sipping rum out of Stanley Cups. Like, I love that. Uh, line. Or even the Migos saying their wrists on hockey, I mean, iced out, right? <laughs> like, I just love, like, the little subtle references as opposed to, hey, we're making a song about hockey here. Um, like Stomp and Tom or something? Yeah, yeah. Well, Someone I mean, like I'm that. not going to hate on Stomp and Tom. But... Um, sometimes it, it can just get corny, right? Try um, a little too hard. But here's here's a deep a deep cut. 
Um, <laughs> you, you have uh, no pun intended when you hear what it what it is, but you'll have to dig. It is on SoundCloud. Um, Canadian artist Buck sixty five has a song called "The Borea Salming Massacre." Oh, and it's a really interesting. It's almost like a ballad. He's talking. He just tells the story of when when Salming gets you know his face ripped apart and the blood on the ice, and he's a kid who loves hockey and he walks in, I think it's his grandparents room uh, and or living room and they're, and they're watching the game and he sees this happen on the ice. And it's a true story because I, I had a chance to talk to him about it. And the, the ice is covered with blood and he had nightmares about it for two weeks and never picked up a hockey stick again because he saw this. And it was just like a really interesting, very specific yeah. song but um, it's worth checking out. It's called the Borea Salming Massacre by Buck Sixty Five. I just found, I just found a really interesting take on the on the hockey song. Is, is it one of his singles? Like, is this a song? No, that this is, fans would know. This is a one off. I don't even think it made it onto any of his albums. But it is on SoundCloud if if you check for it. Yeah, Buck. He's also a big baseball guy. Yeah, and he yeah. wrote about uh, Joey Bats. And um, but I, I think you're right. Like sometimes with hockey songs. I think the the very few national tropes we have, like hockey, and they get kind of played out, you know, and, and people hijack them as, as like, well, you know, I'm a proud Canadian, so I've got to write a hockey song, that kind of stuff. I have no interest in that because very rarely that's the hockey that, that artists grow up with. You know, if, if you have artistic leanings growing up, you, you know, you're probably forced to choose a side between you know, being into sports or being into music, but you can still appreciate both. Um, I look at the Rio Statics and the Ballad of Wendell Clark. It's this weird kind of honky tonk punk song, and it doesn't. It kind of pays tribute to Wendell, but in a you know a, a weird way. And um, the other one is is that I've always loved. Not a great song, song like you're not going to put it on at a party, but. The elegy for Gump Worsley mm. by the Weaker yeah, yeah, yeah. is tremendous. Is tremendous yeah. poetry, and it's just addressing kind of the ugly side of this. Not sorry, not the ugly side. The 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 facts of this overweight goalkeeper who you know is not the goalkeeper that you think of, and it so stuff like that. Like look, I I know I'm supposed to say fifty mission cap. You know I I know that that you know. That's, you don't say anything. Well, I, 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 I mean, I know <laughs> that, you know, having the history that I do with the hip, they've written, you know, their fair share of hockey songs. But 50 Mission Cap is also a weird one because it's not so much celebrating this player. Like when yeah. when bands or artists, you know, write these love songs for the game, it's nice, but it also comes off as a bit trite because, you know, it's only going to be a matter of time before you know, a certain coffee chain uh, uses that, you know. It's, like it's, it's more of a jingle than anything. Right, yeah. right. Um, another, but, you know, so 50 Mission Cap is one, but another hip song that I think if people don't know, they should check out is, is The Lonely End of the Rink. And, and this is a song about, you know, Gord's relation. Gord was a goalie growing up, and it's about his relationship with his father who would watch him from the other side of the rink and kind of, not really talk to him about the game and i think it is as well like if you if you grow up in canada and you're you're just you're you're bombarded with the game and and then you therefore maybe don't play the game or don't ultimately become very successful with the game it's 
it's you, you, you then have a weird relationship with it where you're like, well, I love the game, but I, I didn't get that good at it. So how am I supposed to feel about this thing? Right. So that's the kind of what that's one that, that sticks out for me as well. And, and, but I do like, I, I do also appreciate it when a, a strange line, I'm surprised you didn't bring up Tribe Called Quest, skate on your crew like Mario. Yeah. Did. Yeah. You know, stuff like that, <laughs> yeah. stuff like that is, is, is great, you know, because it's like, wow, they, people, these artists appreciated it and they didn't beat us over the head with it. Right. Mm. The thing with the hip is they do have their beat you over the head with hockey songs, but the one that I, and I was going to leave this, this segment more to you guys, but the one that came to me was fireworks because it's a, it's a love song. Like it's about falling in love with this girl, but I love how he leads it with like, I was a hardcore hockey fan. I couldn't stop thinking about hockey. And then you came in my life and I'm like, whatever Bobby or like you're just a, a dude on the ice like I want to chase this girl I just think that's that's a very uh I guess romantic song but also it's 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 sort of composed in a way that that's not romantic you know it's kind of if you see it on a piece of paper you're like oh that's nice but in the song you're like he's, he's being more aggressive about it um so I really like that song fireworks by uh the hip and that that's sort of where I stop because you guys are are the the musician uh, followers, uh, do you have any others? Like, what about Mika Zabinajad? There's your crossover. Oh, crossover. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there you go. Another interesting man in hockey. There you go. Um, yeah, I haven't been bumping his new track all that much, but uh, I do find it interesting when they take those little forays in, into into music. I think Ovechkin popped up in some strange yeah. Russian rap video at one point. <laughs> Um, well, and, and there's a dude that did the the song about Austin Matthews. I yeah, haven't heard it, but I you saw know it. what? That's <laughs> it's like kind of corny, but kind of catchy. Okay. And it, so I interviewed that guy because, um, well, I I knew it's Austin Matthews. It's Austin Matthews. So um, you know anything involving Austin Matthews, and, and Austin Matthews has heard the song, liked it on social media, uh, and it's catchy. Hit him with the four like Austin Matthews, <laughs> which is great. You know, it's reference to his, his first game. Um, the irony is that that dude is from Ottawa. Right. Really? Yeah. And they recorded the video at an Ottawa rink. So, uh, Very cool. you know, for Senators fans, you know, that might be a little bittersweet. But yeah, um, I actually don't, I don't mind that song. Okay. Yeah. I really like that song. Yeah. The chorus especially. <laughs> I remember when I, I first saw it, I was like, oh, you know, what is this? But again, that's just, you're turning these players into these like fun you know, pop culture celebrities, if only for a few minutes. And um, yeah, just a straight up catchy track. I'm, I'm glad you approve of it as yeah. well. Like it's, uh, it's good. But yeah, I don't, I mean, do we see a lot of, like, I was thinking about this as well. Do we see a lot of like football songs? Do we know baseball songs? I know Drake had Johnny Manziel mentioned in one of the songs. Uh, like, I think basketball yeah. Is there's a huge crossover in terms of like musicians hanging out with basketball players or or just them watching the game more? I don't know what it is. I guess because it's a superstar league, it's easier yeah. to just pull a name out of your out of. Well, the, the Super Bowl shuffle. Let's not oh, let's course. not forget. <laughs> yeah, again, it's it's sort of a hockey culture thing. Like, yeah, it's just not ingrained in the culture for uh, aside from these folksy sort of romantic romanticizing about you know the nostalgic days of of the leafs when they were good aside from those sort of songs uh it's kind of left alone and that's and and maybe that's fine i mean there's no point in you know 
I mean, that's the golden rule, right? Like you write what you know. And if, if, if Rich, Buck 65, feels this weird affinity towards, towards solving, then, then, then write that, you know? For sure. If John K. Sampson's, you know, looks at Gump Worsley and says, I, I identify with him, then, then write that. But, but, and as catchy as that Austin Matthews song is, it shouldn't, (laughs) it shouldn't be a thing of like, well, okay, the Leafs are good again now and, and we've got a, We've got to write a song. I think there was a. I remember there was being a song that came out during the Leafs' 2013 uh, run, and I, I'm gonna need to look oh, into it. Oh yeah. Do you you remember that? Uh, unfortunately, I do. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was just like, uh, uh you, you were kind of left just speechless after it because you're like. What do you, what's the purpose here? What are, what are we trying to they're do? Tr- they're uh, trying, to capitalize. trying to capitalize on it. Yeah. 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 What, what I'd like to see is better music, um, in, in the arenas. That like, was, I, like I want to, when Austin Matthews scores, I want to hear that Austin Matthews song. <laughs> How about, uh, what's that song that they played at the World Cup whenever Canada scored? Weedem Boys or oh, something? Yeah, yeah. That was painful. I was at the Latvia game. But, was, but you guys. I liked it. I liked it. You guys are in press boxes or let's leave it on this, uh, this beautiful question, uh, to end the podcast. What's one song that you like just want to get rid of? the arena discography like the dj there in whatever arena like one for me is like cotton eye joe i get that people like it but it's been playing for like 50 years in arenas i swear i yeah i, I can't disagree cotton eye joe get rid of it let's move on <laughs> get it out of here <laughs> no i like cotton eye joe oh, no. like, i i I, re- I remember hearing it i think at the first dance i ever went to so <laughs> okay. i'm immediately okay. brought back to that dance um <laughs> i could stand to hear i don't even know what it's called but i could stand and and not because of um that aforementioned series but uh, the the boston bruins goal song oh, oh yeah yeah oh. i could I actually I, like that goal song well but yeah i could get old i could see that yeah i but otherwise i think uh i think you just like to see you know in-house djs just just take chances and I, you know, I'm a fan of, I, I would like to see more uh, players, you know, ask for their own goal songs. You know, yeah. team, teams yeah. have their own songs. I don't know right? why that's not and, a thing, like uh, like the equivalent to walk-up music in yeah. baseball. Like, why is that not a thing? Luke, you, I remember you wrote about that, right? You ranked oh, all you? their, like all the goal songs. I once ranked all the goal songs. You're doing a... But I've also talked to guys, because I'm... Well, maybe preseason. I'm working on a piece on the case for the personalized goal song. Okay, because, well, there we go. And um, some players have very strong opinions for and against because hockey is such a team culture. But I remember being in Tampa and Tyler Johnson scores and Johnny Bugood plays. And that only plays when he scores. And when Stammer scores, hammer, hammer time. You can't touch this. So it's like okay. I love these little twists for a unique player and oh yeah well then you're signaling him out and this is a team game and it's about the the, the name on the front but i love it I, and i think there should be more of that well it shouldn't be about the fans at that point like you're you're literally cheering their goal you should be able to be like yeah this is their song like get all fired up about it i mean i think i i was one of i think i i heard benny and the jets when ben smith yeah. scored this year and it's like <laughs> that i mean i don't know how many times that happened it didn't happen a lot no. but it was great because it broke up um i don't even know what the leafs goal song is i know a few years ago they had a teenage head song and i was like that's really really cool um because it took a chance this year like was it 
didn't they have a, a dead mouse song or something or yeah or wasn't that the second intermission they do play a lot they do play a lot of house or electronic music now like like being a, as people trying to write in that atmosphere it's not great but i get why they do you, it you know when we talk about luke you mentioned well you know it's about you know the crest on the front not the name on the back so that's why i don't want you just scored a goal it's, you very, know, a it's good, a very individual thing a wow. good a good player might get 20 and some players maybe get one their entire NHL career. You know, you should be able to celebrate it, you know, however you want. Mm-hmm. So, Luke, how can people find this story? I guess in general to follow you, what the best bet was be, would be to, to go on Twitter and type in your uh, your name there? Yeah, uh, at Luke Fox Jukebox is my Twitter handle. Um one, th- one thing, now we're on this topic. I talked to Kadri, and he controls all their warm-up music, which I think is very cool. And before that, it was Cody Franzen. Um, you know, I'm sure some of your, your listeners are Leaf fans. So um, I, I kind of like that, the players taking ownership of what kind of music they warm up to. Absolutely. And uh, he mixed it up partway through the season. Like, he didn't just stick with the, the same playlist. So, I think that's kind of fun, too. Yeah, I, I actually asked Nas about that, too, yeah. earlier this year. And we got talking about it because he had just been to an Adele show. And you don't <laughs> you don't think, you probably don't think that that's the first show that he's going to go to. But, you know, players have these. I think I saw a tweet. I think JVR was just at a Coldplay show. And... Um, yeah, it's generally the the kind of thing controlling the music. That's generally the thing that's reserved for vets. And Kadri's um, basically a veteran. Yeah, I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. yeah, and I I think he was telling me that that Gardner does pre practice stuff because mm-hmm. it's a little not more mellow, but a little more country. And but I think he gets them amped up with whatever kids get amped up to. <laughs> these Those days, kids, you know. Um, but yeah, you you. Again, to come back to what we were saying, it's it's more about these little, little glimpses into their personality. You know, we don't have to know that player X follows, you know, band Y on the road in, during his summers. But just, oh, you're a fan of that. What got you into that? Scott Darling's a huge Pearl Jam guy. And as a, you know, giant Pearl Jam nerd myself, I loved talking to him about that. It's just a bit of a window, right? So... Absolutely. The fact that Nazem Kadri's into Adele isn't too surprising because he is a cat person. You know that is yeah. <laughs> right. He did have his he, his new cat got that Instagram account. See, we're building that really took off. <laughs> I remember when that happened. It was yeah. like he has an Instagram account, and then like ten minutes later, every media outlet in in the world had a story about it. Boy, I love the way some of the young Leafs reacted. To that yeah, I don't know. It's a cat. Like, is, this, is this what it's like? Literally, no opinion. This is what this is. This is the big bad media in Toronto. You're asking me about Nas's cat. Like it was. I I like that. All right, Josh. How do we uh, how do we stalk you on Twitter? What's your handle? Yeah, Joshua Cloak K L O K E. And you are with the Athletic. Luke is with Sportsnet. Give them a read. Give them a follow, guys. Thanks for coming here. And it's you're sharing a mic. Kind of an awkward situation, but I think you guys handled it well. Yeah. Thanks for having us. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Johnny.